Thank you, Rich, and uh, good morning, church. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, You know, I got the call on a Thursday afternoon from Pastor Van that, um, with the news about Pastor Shoopy, and, uh, you know, he told me Pastor Shoopy was okay, he was going to be all right, um, but that he wasn't going to be able to preach uh, this Sunday, and um, he asked if I'd be willing to do it. And I thought, oh, well. Rather flattered, you would ask. Um, you know, and I immediately thought, eh, I guess, you know, your starting quarterback goes down, you know, you got to have a good backup. I guess that kind of makes me like the backup quarterback. Or who, right? And I suddenly was having visions of the Philadelphia Eagles of last year who had uh, starter Carson Wentz went down. And when uh, we all know what happened, the backup Nick Foles came in. And what did he do? Well, he led the team to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. All right, I think I can do this. It's feeling pretty good about myself, for a couple hours anyway. Um, and Pastor Van circulated an email. Uh, he copied me on it. It was to the staff and the deacons, making sure that everything is on track. Uh, I thought I might read that for you. He writes, Hi, everyone. I just wanted to get a note out so that everyone was on the same page for this Sunday. Let me just bullet point a number of thoughts. Um, Pastor Shoopy is unable to make it due to his health. Pastor Mark will be leaving about 9.30 Sunday morning for the IFCA Youth Convention with a large number of teens and adults. Tim Laymaster is finishing a camp tomorrow and has yet another camp next week. Pastor Everett's in Nigeria... Pastor Lewis McElfresh is preaching at Kearneysville Bible Church, so our immediate go-to guys are not available. (laughs) It gets worse. He writes, after making a number of calls and contacts for our Sunday pulpit, without success, I asked Tim Hellman to preach... I'm sure he'll do fine. (laughs) That's right. It occurred to me as I had that humbling moment, I'm not the backup quarterback. I'm not even the third, fourth. I'm not even the fifth string quarterback. The pastor has done gone into the bleachers and got the hot dog man. (laughs) Pulled me down. Uh... But that's all right, a a, a healthy and humble um, uh, attitude of where you stack up, I think, is always a good thing. So, uh, um, well, uh, some of you, I I think most of you know me pretty well. Some of you that don't, I recognize a lot of faces. Um, You know, you may recognize mine, just a little bit of background. Uh, You know, my family moved to this area in uh, around 1986. Um, I was born were originally from from Florida. Uh, I you know, went to college and, and, and then grad school after that. And uh, I started attending FBC around 1999. Uh, as I was coming home uh, from college on breaks and things like that, so that's about the time that this became my home church. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Sarah. Uh, she uh, and I got married seven years ago, uh, right here at this uh, same uh, altar here. Uh, we have three daughters, uh, Lillian, is five, Amelia is three, and we have our youngest, Elena, who's just four months old. Uh, we live not too far away, uh, kind of near the Kearneysville area, near the uh, VA center. Um, I'm not a 
preacher or pastor by trade. I, I actually work full-time as, as a prosecuting attorney uh, for Jefferson County. I work in Charlestown. Uh, I'm a lawyer. Please don't hold that against me. Um, in fact, when Pastor Van was asking me if I would speak today, initially my lawyer instincts kicked in and thought, Okay, 600 people, billable hour for each one of them. Uh, do I get to send them all a bill or do I treat it as a class action and send the bill directly to the church? But uh, no, it, it doesn't work that quite like that. Um, hey, I've just been a deacon here, uh, enjoying my time at FBC for a number of years, humbly serving as, as a Sunday school teacher for a little bit. And, you know, if I'm the hot dog man today, that's fine with me. I thought it'd just be a good chance to come in and share with you maybe one of my Sunday school lessons. Something that spoke to me, something that was on my heart. Um, back when we studied the book of 1 Peter, uh, I looked, I think we started that in 2014. There was a particular lesson that stood out to me, something that I thought um, might be helpful for all of us to ponder today. If you have your copies of God's Word, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Our text for today is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Follow along with me as I read verse 1 of chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In my house at home, I have a man cave down in the basement. And uh, in that man cave, I have a shelf on the wall. I call it my shelf of really cool things. Now, on my shelf of really cool things, there's nothing really expensive or, or anything. It's more little objects of sentimental value, things that I think are neat, maybe an item of history or, or a family item or something. Um, several of those items on there are uh, things that I got from my dad. And I thought I'd come in and show you a couple of them. Um, these are rocks, stones. Uh, I have one here. Let's see, we got some pictures on the screen. This first one, 
it's porous, it's black, uh, it's a lava stone. Maybe you might recognize it. This is on my shelf of really cool things, because my dad in it for me uh, around 1992, uh, I was 12 years old, and, and he would go on these work trips. He worked for the National Park Service, and uh, he would always bring me back some sort of a souvenir or something cool from one of his trips. Uh, those of you that know my dad know that any souvenir he brought back would never cost more than about a buck. Um, <laughs> but they were always cool and had some sort of you know, sentimental value, and this was the first time I'd ever seen a lava rock before, and he brought that back. Uh, another uh, item... Uh, is this one, this, uh, this little piece of granite stone. And, and every time I look at this one, this rock, maybe you've seen this before, um, this comes from a railroad bed. And it reminds me of when I was five years old and my dad used to take my brother and I uh, down the dirt road behind our house and we used to live in Edgewater, Florida. And uh, he taught us to throw rocks at the old railroad tracks that were behind our house. And uh, we'd go and pick up these, these granite stones and we'd, he'd teach us how to throw them into the weeds. I'm not sure what the railroad company thought of that, uh, throwing away their stones, but uh, you know it was a good uh, good memory. Um, another uh, another stone I thought I'd bring in and show you guys is this piece of sandstone. Uh, this is called a ripple mark, and maybe you can see there's these ripples here. That uh, you know this originally was a, was a sand layer. My dad got this out at the Petrified uh, Forest National Park, and. Um, it, over time, this sand, as it's impacted by, by the wind and the water, creates these little ripples, and then it would harden and become almost fossilized. You can see it's very thin, uh, but very hard, and just, uh, just a really neat item that he brought back. This last stone that I have, I don't know if you guys can see it. You recognize the screen. Anyone can tell what this is? Yeah, it's a good old piece of, of West Virginia coal, and uh, I keep this on my shelf because it's kind of cool. Reminds me of West Virginia. Uh, I got this from my dad at Christmas one year. Um, <laughs> we're not going to say much more about that. <laughs> um, but stones, you know, and all, all the times I've, I've gotten items, you know, seen stones, uh, been in life, I've never seen a living stone, right? Stones aren't alive. They don't breathe. They don't have a metabolism. They don't eat. They don't have any independent thought. So when you read in Scripture that we are to be living stones, that might be a little bit confusing. How do we understand that? Is it okay to admit sometimes that maybe the Bible might be a little confusing when you try to read it? I think that's the way God intends it. It makes us study it harder, look at it closer, and learn a little bit better from it, maybe imprinting and impacting our lives in a stronger way. So let's do that. Let's, uh, as is our practice in the Sunday school class, examine the text, let the Word of God speak, and see what sort of observations we can make about a living stone. The first observation that I see is that our living stones are a metaphor of building and construction. All right? Uh, The metaphor of a living stone is one of building and construction. We see that in verses 4 through 7, where Peter uses the words being built up. Spiritual house, cornerstone, builders rejected. We can see from the context here that this is one of building and construction. And the apostle Peter 
uh, is writing to a early church. This would be around AD 60, maybe AD 65, before the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, a church that is persecuted and scattered throughout what is modern-day Turkey. They were Roman provinces at the time, churches like Ephesus, for example. Uh, and uh, he was writing to encourage the early church. He even refers to them in chapter 1 as the elect exiles of the dispersion. And as he writes to this early church, and he uses language like being built up and spiritual house and cornerstone and builders rejected, the audience would have said, aha, I know exactly what he's talking about. I've seen stones like that before. I know the importance of a cornerstone in construction. They would have understood what he was getting at because they would have seen buildings like this. That in the corner of of just about every building made of stone, even some buildings and things today that are made of stone, there is always one stone bigger and more broader than all the rest. There's one stone by which the whole building is built and if you could somehow pull it away, the building would collapse. It's not hard to see it. You can see it over here, this stone here. It's angled, it's large, all the other stones are resting upon it. There's another illustration that perhaps would have come to mind to the early church that Peter was writing to. is this illustration of the Roman arch. And if you're familiar with the ways these are constructed, each one of these stones on the arch has a specific place and a specific purpose. But it doesn't work, and there is no arch unless you have this keystone or this capstone here at the top to hold it all together. Without that stone, if you could pull it away, everything collapses, everything falls in. And the early church would have understood that these cornerstones... Uh, These keystones, they are carefully selected by builders. It's not something you just go and just find laying around. They select a very specific piece of rock. They spend time chiseling it out, carefully selecting it, shaping it, making so it's just perfect, just the way they want it, and so it fits their mold. The other thing that they would have understood at the time is that precious stones, cornerstones, are built into houses to bring great glory to persons or beings. For example, uh, Pastor Shupi has been telling you about the uh, Temple of Solomon uh, and then also the temple that uh, Haggai was trying to encourage by the word of the Lord, encourage the Jewish people uh, to, to rebuild, to rebuild the temple. That's been um, one of the things Pastor Shupi has been talking about. And, and you remember what he said that the people didn't want to build it because they were going to be building an average temple sort of a ho-hum kind of temple that wasn't as great as what you see here, King Solomon's temple from back in, back in the day. And all the people, the audience would have, would have known and understood that, that buildings of stone proclaim the great glories of their God. And that's why during Haggai's time, they, they weren't really excited about building, building just an average temple. They wanted something great that proclaimed the marvelous nature of Jehovah God for all the world to see. They also understood that because it was common practice for the pagans in their area. They, with great care, chiseled out tight marble columns, and the Romans built their temples, and the Greeks built their temples. They had temples to Artemis, temples to Diana, temples to Athena, Ares. Everybody had a temple, and they were all building them and cutting their stones to make it to proclaim the glories of their particular god. The audience also would have understood... um, 
here's a picture. This is of the inside of Solomon's temple with the gold and so forth and everything for all the world to see. They would have also understood, however, that the converse is true. Uh, that if, while a great and magnificent temple and stones proclaims the glories of your God, if your temple's torn down and your stones are in ruins, it's a mockery and it's a sham to the God that it was made for. This particular temple is a pagan temple. Uh, it's not far from the city of Ephesus in, in modern-day Turkey. Uh, this was a temple to the goddess Athena in the town of Priena. And you can see now it's torn down. All these great stones that had been chosen by the builders that they thought their stones were so great and are now torn down, laying on top of each other, scattered, grass growing up through one another, destroyed, ruined, an embarrassment to whom they were supposed to glorify. Looking at our text, we have another observation that stands out. Not only do we understand the metaphor of a living stone as one building in construction, but we see very clearly that Jesus Christ is the ultimate living stone. Jesus Christ is the ultimate living stone. We see that in verse 4 of the text. As you come to him, to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This is what Jesus is to us, folks. This cornerstone we see right here, chosen and precious to God, carefully selected. He's alive. He's a living stone. Scripture teaches us that Jesus has power. He has power. He's not a dead stone. He's not like those other ones you saw uh, at the temple uh, for Athena that were torn down and on top of each other. All those other false gods have come and gone through the years, but there is one stone that is living and active and is there for you and you can build your life upon just like this house was built, just like all the other stones you see here are anchored on the living stone of Jesus Christ. He has power. He's a foundation for your life. Jesus rescues and he saves. He forgives sin. He's alive, and if you believe in him, it says here in verse 6, you will not be shame. Well, what else does the text say about Jesus Christ? It says he was rejected by builders. He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. We see that in verses 6, 7, and 8. In fact, Peter here is quoting, citing to Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. He says, is it verse 6, where it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Did you know that's Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16? He goes on to say, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's Psalm 118, verse 22. And then lastly, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. What's the illustration here? A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, rejected by the builders. Let's start with that, rejected by the builders. Uh, An illustration that came to mind, uh, I don't know if anyone here likes to build things. I do sometimes. I'm not very good at it. Um, but one of the things I like to do is I'll go to, to Lowe's and, uh, or, or Home Depot, and, and I like to get two-by-fours. Uh, they've got a nice little stack of, of wall studs that says, Select, 
select studs and you can go there and you can pick them out and they're about, what, $2.30 a piece or so and, and I can cut them and make them into shelves and do whatever I want with it. And if you've ever bought them before or you've ever been there seeing builders picking out which ones they want, you know what you do is you, is you pick up the two by four and you inspect it and you lay it out and kind of look down the beam and you are looking to see if it's straight or if it's bent and warped in some way. You're looking to see if it has knots or some kind of split or some sort of other defect. And right next to the stack of select beautiful studs, what do you see there at the at this hardware stores? There's the pile of rejects. That's where people just take them. You look, ah, no, this one's a little too bent for me. Bloop! And the builder rejects it and throws it to the side and tries to find one that fits their mold a little bit more, has a little bit, uh, maybe a better idea of what they had in mind. And that's how it is with Jesus Christ. It says he was the stone that the builders rejected, the builders being the Pharisees, the religious establishment at the time, that when Jesus came to him, he didn't fit their mold. Just like those two-by-fours that discarded, they were expecting uh, a Savior to come and to reestablish the the throne of David and to, to drive out all the Romans. They didn't like the idea of a suffering servant. They didn't like the idea of one who came and to, to take off his clothes, wrap a towel on his waist and wash their feet, to challenge them to repent of their sin, to turn from their wicked ways. He didn't fit their mold and so the builders rejected him. It also says that he's a, uh, a stone, a stumbling stone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That would be like if this rock were in a path and maybe you've stumbled over rocks in a path before. There are people that keep stumbling over Jesus Christ that they're walking through life and they think everything's okay and that what's good for you is good for... Whoa, whoa. What do you mean there's something called absolute truth? I don't buy that. In fact, I think there's many ways to heaven and what's, you know, there's... You know, oh, what, what, what do you mean Jesus is the only way to heaven? That it's only through faith, through the work, the finished work he did at the cross that I, that I can have eternal life. That's, that's so intolerant. And they stumble over that. They can't deal with that. So they reject him. Let's see what Jesus said about himself. You don't have to turn there, but just quickly. Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He told them point blank. He said, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Folks, scripture is clear. You have two choices in life. You can either come to Jesus and and just be broken before him and he can be your precious cornerstone. Or he can be your stone of stumbling, your rock of offense. And Jesus said it himself, look, it may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, it may be a while, but ultimately that stone will crush you. Which one are you today? Which person are you going to be today? Have you noticed that God has a way, a different way of doing things? He's got a funny sense of humor sometimes. It is the pile of the rejected wall studs that he can work with. 
He chooses the, 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 the poor of this world to, sh- to shame the rich and, 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 and the weak to shame the strong. He can take the, the last and he can make them first. And he says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you first got to be the servant of all. And oh, by the way, this stone that you guys rejected, I'm going to make it the biggest, strongest, baddest cornerstone you've ever seen. That's the way God works. He has a great sense of humor, doesn't he? Um, I was reminded of his sense of humor a little bit. Uh, you know, be careful. Be careful about things. Um, I'm a third service guy, and it was just, I think, about three weeks ago, I was sitting over there in the third service when Mark was up here preaching. And do you remember? He was kind of, it was time to bring the youth up and, like, give them some awards and, and things like that. And, and he was up there, and, and he said, uh, when we call your name, come on up here on the... Um, the uh, uh, the, uh, the, he couldn't remember the word platform. And I thought it was really funny. And, and when he couldn't remember it, he said, he said, oh, I, I'm sorry. Speaking of three services, you know, it's really rough. And sitting there in my chair, I thought, <laughs> man up, you big baby. Come on. You're a pastor. This is, folks, be careful. God will turn the tables on you. <laughs> Remember the words of Jesus. Judge not, lest ye be preaching next week. <laughs> um, but, but God definitely does things differently. Um, our next observation that we make in the text, this is not only do we have a, a metaphor here, a clear metaphor of building and construction, not only do we know that Jesus Christ uh, is the ultimate living stone, um, but we see that Our third observation from the text is we are called to be living stones. We are called to be living stones built up into a spiritual house. Well, what does that mean? We've been asking that question. What does it mean to be a living stone? Let's continue to examine the text, keeping in mind the clear metaphor that we are talking about, that being built up, uh, that, that living stones are being built up into a marvelous spiritual house with Jesus Christ as the precious cornerstone. One of the first things I see from the text about what is a living stone, what does it look like, is that living stones put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. We see that in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. What is this? This is a call to holiness for the church, for those being built up into a spiritual house. It's a call to holiness. And notice that the call to holiness does not start with the sins that we like to judge so much in our self-righteousness. He doesn't immediately go to and point out those sexual sins or, or the substance abuse sins or, or the violent sins or anything. But no, he goes right to the early church and he pokes them in the eye with the exact same things that the church at large uh, in America struggles with today. Envy, slander, hypocrisy, Malice. Are you angry with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you are you slandering? Are you talking about them behind their back? Are you hypocritical? Does not the church get accused all the time in America today of being hypocritical? I see just a church full of hypocrites. And he says, look, you are called to be living stones. And in my spiritual house, there is no room for these qualities. I am calling you as living stones to holiness. And it needs to start with the log in your own eye, despite your self-righteousness. We see also from the text, our second observation, living stones 
long to grow spiritually. Living stones long to grow spiritually. Verse 2 says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Long to grow spiritually. As I told you earlier, I have three daughters. And our youngest is four months old. And so now three times now I've got to see firsthand just how much an infant longs for milk. And the illustration here is, look, an infant longs for milk unlike any other grown child or adult longs for anything else. You know, there, as adults, there's a lot of different things, you know, that we long for, like this and that, okay, whatever. It's very simple for infants. Give them one thing. That's the only thing they're, they're screaming about, unless it's a diaper change, of course, we know that. But there's, there's one thing that they crave. They crave the milk. And my little baby daughter, Elena, four months old, she seems to just crave it and, and scream it like, like nothing else. She wants that milk. And what I've found out is if I don't give it to her right away, actually most of the time it's Sarah giving it to her, but if she doesn't get her milk right away, her cries turn, they, they're not like sweet baby cries anymore. They're mad cries. She gets mad at us. That baby gets hangry. <laughs> Have you ever heard a baby like like they, they get they get so they get so angry because they're hungry they're mad they they get they get hangry and Sarah and I joke that she has this cry that it, we call it her flipper cry because she gets so mad and worked up she kind of makes this noise like <laughs> like a dolphin she's angry I, I can't help but wonder. When was the last time that we were hangry over God's word? When was the last time we got hangry over spiritual growth that we had such an intense desire like that baby desires the milk? Do we desire the word like that? Do we desire discipleship like that? Do we desire our small groups like that? Or are we content to just come in and do Christianity one hour a day on Sundays, one, you know, one day a week? Are we hangry for the word? Point number three, what is a living stone? I see a living stones are family. Living stones are a family. This might be a little bit of a stretch, but I see it in verse five. It says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And when I hear the word house, I think family. And then it goes on to say in verse 9 about being a chosen race and a holy nation and a people for a possession. You know, we just finished a series on the family here at Fellowship Bible Church that Pastor Van was doing for several weeks and, uh, you know, Pastor Mark and Pastor Shupi and were involved. And, and look, folks, this is your family. Look around you. This is the body of Christ. This is your family, one another as living stones being built up in a spiritual house. What does a family do for one another? How is a family supposed to act? We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to forgive one another. Is there anybody here that needs to forgive somebody else? I've been here 19 years. I'm sure I've wronged somebody at some point. Will you forgive me as your brother in the church? Are you forgiving one another? Bearing one another's burdens? How about supporting one another? Do you support one another in what you do, like those stones that we saw right here on the arch? Each stone kind of leaning in on each each other, supporting one another. 
things. It's hard to do. It can be hard to support sometimes. Um, in fact, I was just thinking, this was just maybe just two days ago when I asked Sarah, I said, Sarah, Pastor Van asked if I wanted to preach. And, you know, do you think this is a good idea? Do you support me in this? And she says, oh, yeah, I think you'll do a great job. I totally support you in that. And I said, oh, good, because, you know, three services is a long time, and that's, that could be really rough. And she said, well, I mean, I think, you'd, I think you'll do a good job and all, honey, but I'm not staying for three services. <laughs> Uh, she's, she's, she has been very supportive. Um, what about other things in the family? Are you involved in ministry? Do you participate in ministries here? Do you assist in some way? Do you, do you help one another? One of the things that really touched my heart was seeing how people came together to make this service happen today. That when most of our staff was gone, we still had people like Rich willing to come up and moderate the platform. And we had our musicians who were here for three services and were so flexible with the music as we have different hymns for different services today. And we have guys on our soundboard and, and just uh, staff. And everybody, everybody came together like a family to make this happen. Are you being a living stone and being a part of this family? You gotta get plugged in. You gotta connect. You gotta grow. What else do we see in scripture here? We see that living stones offer spiritual sacrifices. Living stones offer spiritual sacrifices. We see that in verse five. It says, You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Why? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, the audience being largely Jewish and partly Gentile would have identified right away with the sacrificial system that was still going on in Jerusalem. They would have understood when Peter says, look, you're called to be a holy priesthood, and he mentions sacrifices, they would have immediately connected that with what's going on in Jerusalem. But they also knew that they are under a new covenant now, that Jesus Christ, the finished work of his blood on the cross, did away with the sacrificial system. And so Peter says, you are called to be priests, not sacrificing animals anymore, but rather making spiritual sacrifices. What does that look like for us? What do spiritual sacrifices look like for us? Perhaps sacrifices in time. Are you willing to give of your time to minister to others as a sacrifice to the Lord? What about money and giving? Are you uh, selfish with the things God has, has entrusted to you? Or are you willing to make sacrifices to give till it hurts? Integrity was another thing I thought about. Uh, perhaps I'm challenged that Am I making sacrifices to make the shows that I watch on TV? And when there's something inappropriate in there, am I willing to make a sacrifice of integrity to be pleasing to God as a living stone and the things that I set before my eyes? Perhaps relationships. Maybe there's someone here today who's uh, involved in some sort of a, of a relationship that they know is not biblical, um, something that, that, uh, that, that Scripture forbids. Are you willing to sacrifice that under the Lord? Or maybe you're in a relationship, a strained family relationship, where there's two parties that are are at enmity with each other, and there's tension. And one of those parties has to be the first one to make a step towards reconciliation. Are you willing to make a sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice there, to be the first one? Living stones offer spiritual sacrifices. We also see then... 
Point number five, living stones proclaim his excellencies. Living stones proclaim his excellencies. And that gets back to the image of the temple that we saw. Um, It says in verse five, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then we see in verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That This is why that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what spiritual houses do. That's what they did back then. And the image, the illustration is, that is what we are to do now with Jesus Christ as our precious cornerstone. We are built, each and every one of us, on top of each other, working together, being built up into a spiritual house, just like the temples of old, to stand as a testament to the great and mighty things that the Lord has done in our lives. And as living stones, are you proclaiming the excellencies of what the Lord has done in your life? Are you talking to people about it? Your friends, your neighbors, do they even know? Do they even know that you're a Christian? Are you proclaiming his excellencies in the way you live your life and the way you behave at work? Are you standing as a temple and a testament to the things he's done? Many of you in here, I'm sure, have a very strong testimony of how he has called you out of darkness and into the light. It reminds me of a story of when I was on a hunting trip when I was 17 years old. I was learning the ropes. Uh, An older friend had taken me to his cabin at the Dolly Sods Wilderness here in West Virginia. I'd never been there before. I'd only been hunting a handful of times. It was the opening day of the buck season. And we were going out that Monday morning. Some of you hunters know what this is like. You're out there in the dark. You know, you get up at like 4.30 a.m. And and here we're hiking up in the mountains and everything. If you've ever been to the Dolly Sods Wilderness, you know it's rugged. There ain't nothing up there but trees and mountain laurel and bears. And it gets dark, real dark. There's no cell phone signal. There's no other buildings. There's nothing. And here we are hiking up in the dark, up on the side of this mountain to go hunting. And and my friend had taken me up there a couple times before, but it had always been in the daylight. And we had reached that point where he was going to go one way and I was going to go another. And he said, are you sure you're going to be okay continuing on the trail up the mountain? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'd done this before. Hey, you know, I, I was 17. I thought I was king of the world, you know. I started continuing on the trail. I got away from my friends. I was up in the darkness. And what I realized real fast is that the woods look a whole lot different at night than they do during the day. Trees don't look the same. Rocks don't look the same. And it only took a matter of a few minutes for me to stray off the path that was set before me and to just get tangled up in just the thickest pile of mountain laurel you've ever seen. Has any, I don't know if anyone here has ever been tangled up in mountain laurel before. It is thick. It is thick. And I had to step and swim my way through it almost. And, and everywhere, and the, and the more I would get tangled up in there and these branches are pulling at me and it's dark and I'm thinking that there's surely there's got to be a whole den of bears in here somewhere. I'm scared. I'm really scared. 17-year-old boy lost. I thought I was lost. I thought I was walking the complete other which direction. I didn't know where I was going. I was lost in the darkness. And you know what? I paused. I caught my breath in, in my panic. And I just took a deep breath, said a little prayer, and just waited where I stood for a few minutes. And then came the marvelous light. The marvelous light. And it begot to get a little bit brighter 
And then I could suddenly see a path through the mountain laurel ahead, and I walked out, and I sat down on this big rock that kind of overlooked the mountain, and I watched the sunrise come up, and by the marvelous light, I felt like I was saved. Now, it turns out my friends were only like 100 yards away, but I'm telling you, I was terrified at the time. Do you have a story like that, of how you were lost, you left the path, you were lost, you were tangled up in that mountain laurel and that darkness, and then you were saved, transformed by the marvelous light? You're called as a living stone to proclaim those glories, to, pro- to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of that darkness and into the marvelous light. That's what living stones do. Lastly, we have the point that I also saw and as we're wrapping this up. Living stones are chosen and precious. Living stones are chosen and precious. And I thought this was worth mentioning because I thought perhaps there's someone here today who needed that word of encouragement. As we see clearly in the text from verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones. You know, we see that also in verse 9, but you're a chosen race. Chosen. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. The end there at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had no mercy, now you've received mercy. I just want to encourage you folks today, if you need that word of encouragement, God loves you very much. You are a precious cut stone for him that he has cut with his own hands for a specific purpose. And just like we see here in our picture, like this arch, just like we see here uh, in this building, he has cut you and we come in all different shapes and all different sizes from all different backgrounds, some good, some bad. Each one of these is a chip on us that he has molded and cut and loves us and we're precious to him. And he put us in a specific place with a specific purpose. That's what the Lord does for us because he loves you. He loves you more than anything you could ever know. And don't ever let the enemy of your souls tell you otherwise. Let me wrap this up in conclusion. So we're just about out of time. There's two types of challenges today from this text that I see. The first challenge is to those who may not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, Are you here today and you're still stumbling over the stumbling stone? Is Jesus a rock of offense to you? Perhaps as it says in verse 3, that maybe you haven't tasted yet that the Lord is good. Let me tell you, He is. He's awesome. That verse 6 is true, that if you put your faith in Him, you'll never be put to shame. Don't put it off any longer if the Holy Spirit's been tugging at your heart, been calling you towards salvation maybe for days, maybe for weeks, maybe even for months now. Today's the day to do business with the Lord. The gospel is simply this. Jesus will forgive all your sins and give you a fresh, clean start if you'll come before him humbly and say, you're the Lord, and I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Perhaps you're in the second group of people today that you have already made Jesus Christ your precious cornerstone. You're growing as being a living stone, and you're part of this building, part of this spiritual house that the Lord is building. To you, I would say the challenge is this, as we've talked about today and observed from Scripture. You know, put away the malice, the slander, the hypocrisy. Live for holiness. 
grow up into spiritual maturity. Be hangry over the word of God. Be hangry for spiritual growth as a living stone. Be active in your church family. Uh, you know, uh, and for it's going to take different forms for different people, but you know, are you going to events? Are you helping in ministry? You know, we've got a thousand different ministries around here you can be a part of to bear one another's burdens, um, to get plugged in, uh, to build relationships. And then lastly, are you proclaiming his excellencies continually? As living stones, are we proclaiming his excellencies continually? Are we going to be a church that proclaims the glories of God? Or are we going to be like that destroyed temple in ruins for the whole world to laugh at? Stones bickering with each other, piled on top of each other, fighting, torn down, destroyed. Let me challenge you to be living stones this week. Think about that as you're on your mower and you hit a rock. Um, as you stub your toe, maybe in the driveway, as you come across a stone, ponder in thought, think in thought uh, how you might be growing uh, as living stones. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord, this opportunity to gather together, to study your word. We love you, Lord. We love your word. We thank you that you are calling us to be living stones built up into a spiritual house. We ask, Lord, you would continually challenge us this week to proclaim your excellencies, to live holy and righteous lives, to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to act as family. Challenge us with this as we go our separate ways. In your name we pray, amen.